Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. As always, your belief and support for me means the world, and I love you for it. Thanks for sharing these episodes. Man, we are, we've had some amazing guests on this show, and it just blows my mind. And so thank you. And I, I got to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Mori Nutrition. They have a drink called Calm. It's for to help people um, with anxiety. It's an amazing drink. It tastes amazing. So Thank you for your sponsorship. Uh, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried and Jensen, and Thread Wallets. You guys are amazing, and I appreciate you supporting me and helping me further the cause. Well, today uh, we have another amazing guest, and wait till you hear this person's story. It's going to blow your mind. Um, and again, I'm I'm always sitting here going, people are um, astonishing. Like people really are. They are. They really are. They're astonishing. And today we are lucky and blessed to have Manny Lopez in the house. Manny, thanks for being here. Yeah, for sure. It's a, <laughs> it's a blessing to be able to sit down with you and, and well, talk about some amazing things. Absolutely. And, um, you know, a little background on Manny. He's a recovery coach. He's a mentor. He's a, uh, a clinical mental health intern. Uh, he works at at-risk youth and people struggling with addiction. Uh, he's an advocate. He tries to help people find their purpose, uh, to overcome difficult things. And the best thing about that is people listen to you because of what you've been through. Right. You know, you've, you've been, you know, in your youth, you're in foster care and detention. You spent 20 years in and out of prison. Right. You were in a gang. Um, one of the, one of the stories I can't wait to hear is how you, you chose to jump out of a gang in right. prison, yeah, it's pretty which is, sounds like a death sentence of someone doing that. So we're going to talk about that, but cool. That you're even here is amazing. You've been through a lot in your life. You've got a lot to share. And what's cool is you've overcome some really hardships, and now you're giving back. Right. That's the beautiful part of your story right now. So here we are yeah. today, man. <laughs> yeah, <it's so laughs> man, he's in the house. So why don't we start off? Let's talk a little bit about your youth. Okay. Tell us where you grew up and maybe a little about, about your family dynamic and what your struggles were as a youth. So I grew up here in in Salt Lake. I grew up on the west side of town, uh, come from a broken home. My mother had five kids by the time she was in her early 20s. Okay, wow. A single mother, and that became too much for her. She struggled with addiction herself. So the Division of Child and Family Services uh, stepped in, and they took me and my two brothers and my two sisters. I'm mm. the oldest of the five. Okay. Uh, we were blessed in the beginning to all go to one family, which is kind of rare. Really, for, so for that many, many kids, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I was nine years old. I immediately started acting out, uh, giving pushback to the family, saying things like, you're not my mom, I don't care about you, I don't want to be here. And that resulted in them making a decision that I needed to be separated from my brothers and sisters. So my journey... Were you, doing like, were you doing like there. bad behavior, like criminal stuff at that uh, time? I mean, probably destroying some property, okay. um, skipping school, things like that. Okay. So, And then I started bouncing around foster homes. And by the age of 12, I ended up in a foster home in Lehigh. Mm. 
and I didn't, I didn't like the way that I was being treated there. Um, I didn't like the oh. way that they would talk about my family um, and put them down and basically say like I came from trouble, so all I was was trouble. Mm. And so at age twelve, I decided that I was going to set off on a journey of my own and find my family. Really? And so I rode a bike on Redwood Road from Lehigh to Salt Lake, which is it's a good long 20-something miles. It's a good good ride there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I made it into Salt Lake, and I remembered my grandmother's phone number, and I called. And my uncle answered, and they were really surprised that it was me. And they sent my mom to come and pick me up. Now, my mom was still in her addiction and, and still in in the cycle of toxic relationships. So she took me along for that ride. And that's where I learned a lot of the behaviors that I would display later on in life. Mm. Um, that would ultimately wind me up in prison. Um, I would be on the run from my foster homes. I'd get arrested, go to the juvenile detention center, um, get out, go to a placement, run back to my mom, get arrested, um, go back to another placement that went from foster homes to group homes and then from group homes to secure facilities. Mm. Uh, so I spent, I spent a lot of my teenage, early teenage years in the juvenile detention center. When I was 16 years old, um, I was involved in a drug deal. So around 14 years old, I started picking up meth. Okay. Wow. Um, young. I really didn't have anywhere to go at that time. Again, my mom was in and out of places. Sometimes she could take me, sometimes she couldn't. So I had to kind of figure it out on my own being on the run. And I figured out pretty early that if I had meth, then I had somewhere to go. Somebody would open their door for me. Um, and then usually as soon as it was gone, they would <laughs> kick me out. Yeah, like, and, we're done with you. Right, get out of here. And so I would have to go get more. And so that began my cycle uh, deep into the drug world. Um, I had an uncle that was selling meth at that time and he would give me a certain amount to me, bring back a certain amount of money. And as long as I kept that cycle going, I was able to survive. Mm. When I was 16 years old, I was involved in a drug deal that didn't go as planned. Um, and I had to shoot my way out of this house and I ended up shooting somebody twice. Oh, wow. When this happened, I thought that I had killed this person and detectives were looking for me. They were going to my mom's to different places, to different family members. And ultimately about three weeks later, they got a hold of me at a gas station in Midvale. So I was arrested, um, thought I was going down for murder and they finally told me. So that, at this point you're thinking the yeah, guy died. I'm thinking my life is ruined. Oh, like there's wow. no future. Um, one of the most, sick darkest feelings that I've ever felt in my life yeah and again remember I'm 16 years old at yeah, this time 16 so I think I know everything but I know nothing mm -hmm. so what happened from there was they took me to the police station um, told me that he had survived and that I was under arrest for attempted murder wow they transported me to the juvenile detention center and I mean, that was like home to me because I'd spent so much time there. Uh, but this time it was a little bit different because I knew I wasn't going to get out and go to a placement. Yeah. Something worse was going to happen. Yeah. So I went to court and they decided to certify me as an adult. And they sent me to 
the adult jail. From there, I would be sent to prison and I'd arrive in prison at age 17. Wow, at 17. Yeah. So even though you didn't get, you know, the you weren't charged with murder, it was attempted murder, it had to be the same feeling though. Right. Like uh, the darkness that, right. man, my life's over. This over. is it. Over. And, and at that time in my life, I think I was, I was really under the impression, man, I'm just trying to survive out here. Um, and through that whole time, I was involved in, in a local gang um, that I had given a lot of my uh, commitment to. You know, I, I used that as like a surrogate family because the family that I had wasn't really there for me. So I would go to prison and jump right into the gang lifestyle. Um, and so I went in at 17 and I got out at 23. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, I was in prison. And I got out uh, to the same support that I had when I went in. Yeah, so nothing changed. Right, nothing changed. The only thing that I really gained from that prison stay is my high school diploma. Oh, really? So you went, were able to do some schooling while I you did. were in there? I, I got my high school diploma. I started to attend a little bit of college, but then my behaviors in the prison would end me up in solitary confinement and so, lockdown, and so I, I didn't get to utilize that yeah. resource. Okay. Did you join a gang while you were in prison or was it before? I joined prison? the gang on the streets before okay. I went into prison. And was this before 17? At 17. At 17 yeah, you had joined the gang? At 16 actually. Yeah, at 16. Okay. Um, and then at 17 I went to prison and I just gravitated right to that gang. Hmm. So every time you get out, it's, it's almost like your family, right? Right. Oh, this, I'm going to go hang with those guys again. And right. they're obviously getting in trouble all the time. they were the family that was there. Yeah. So you get out at 23. I get out at 23. I go to the halfway house and I'm there for probably a few weeks. Um, meet a girl and decide the best idea for me is to run. Hmm. I go hang out with this girl. I start getting high on meth again and it only takes about two weeks before the cops find me and take me back to prison. Because again, you're on uh, parole or, right. or probation, excuse me. Parole. It, and parole. Correct, it's called yeah. parole. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get those binks up sometimes. So therefore you got to fly right. Right. You don't just leave prison. They still are watching you. Right. You got to check in. You got a right. UA, all that stuff. All that stuff. So they catch back up to you. Catch back up to me, put me in the back of their car, drive me right out to the front gates of the prison <laughs> and, oh. and take me in there again. And ultimately this would be my cycle for the next 20 years get out to go back in, get out to no support in what I viewed as no options, uh, limited resources, uh, continue to be involved with gang activity, toxic relationships, abusive relationships, and ultimately get taken back to prison. And so I, I would go back to prison 11 times. Over the next, like, was Over it 20 years? 20 years. 11 times. What yeah. was the longest time you had to stay in? Was it from 17 to 23? Yeah, the six, yeah, the six, six years there. Six and a half years. Yeah. So just in and out. And you're probably thinking at this point, this is just my life. This is just what I do. Right. Right. I would do that six-year sentence. I would do another three-year sentence, mm -hmm. two-and-a-half-year sentence, a two-year sentence, um, and then just a bunch of parole violations, which are like 30 days to six months. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they let me out to go back in. Wow. Um, 
man. In 2017, uh, I had my daughter. And when I had my daughter, I held this little girl. Her name is Serenity, by the way. And she would fill me with so much inspiration, joy, um, motivation, fulfillment that I would understand what family was in that moment. Um, or at least get a different paradigm, a different perspective of what family was for me. Right. And I made a decision that I didn't want to be a gangbanger anymore. Yeah. I would ultimately get sent back to prison around that time. And it was during that time uh, that I'd end up on the yard with some of my other gang members that I was involved with. And, and I made a decision that I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a family man. And there response to me was that that wasn't an option and I had seen so many other people that said hey I want to go live a productive life and be a, a yeah. family man or, a, or a, right. a man of, of faith and they, they'd allowed him to and again I had been with these people for like 17 years at that time yeah 16 17 years something around there long time um, and I felt like I deserved that opportunity as well and their response was um, F my family F my daughter and for me to get with the program in that and, moment and explain to listeners that may not understand this okay. like like you don't just say i'm done with the gang there's right. a there's a there's a written rule if you will yeah that you can't just say i quit right it's almost like a blood in blood out thing okay um and so what i did when they when they said that um i just i looked at the one closest to me and he said do you have a problem with that and i just punched him in his face <laughs> really? and because yeah. you knew I, I knew what's going to happen. I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And I knew that I wasn't going to be a part of what they were doing anymore. Wow. Um, the destruction, the, the violence, the hurting people, the hurting each other, uh, the getting out and leaving our kids with no parents to be somebody else's responsibility. That was something that I, I didn't want to be a part of. I felt like I was a part of that and it did me no yeah. good in my life. Yeah. So I, I punched that guy and they, they, they proceeded to jump me and they jumped me pretty good. They stomped me until I was on the ground and I was out. And then once I was out, they continued to knee me in, in my head. Um, and at this time, all the other gangs are out on the yard watching this. And they just let it happen. And, and they just let they it understand. happen. It, was, it, was, it wasn't their problem. It's not their problem. Uh, I mean, wow. lucky for me that I had built some relationships with some other people in different gangs that at, at a, a certain point, they're like, all right, that's enough. Um, and so I, I proceeded to let the guys that jumped me go back in to the section while I stayed out, um, so that I didn't bring attention to what was going on. And, uh, an hour later I went back in with the help of a couple friends from different gangs and, uh, we were ultimately found out about me being jumped on the yard. Um, it's kind of hard to, to hide one of those things yeah. when the cops come through to do a head count. Well, you're probably and, bruised and, they and cut see, up uh, and beat up. Yeah. Oh yeah. So they would they would move me to a different section, um, and the one the one thing that I I feel like came out of that was it was easier for me to walk around the prison after that because I had went out and faced these guys, um, and I got some respect from some of the well, other I bet people. You had a, yeah, a lot of respect, I'm sure. Like, look what you did. Right, because there's a lot of people when they choose to leave their gang in prison, they go and they push 
the button on the intercom at the front door of the section and they tell the police officers like i can't live here anymore i don't want to be a part of this and they get moved that way um, but i had faced mine and, and some people Jeez. kind of respected me for that and and so i was able to remain on the main yard um and and uh finish my time out i didn't have to be in protective custody or anything like that wow so i would get out that time and think that my life was about to be so much better because yeah. I got rid of that part. Uh, the problem with that is it got worse. And it got worse because I had used the gang for so many years as a crutch to lean on when things got hard. Right. And so I just took a support away from myself. As negative as that support was, it was support. Still support for you. Right. Yeah. Uh, from there... I would continue to go back into prison because I still had my destructive thinking. I still had my destructive behaviors and I still had my addiction. Um, and let's throw codependency in there uh, because although codependency and addiction tend to go together, those it, are yeah, two separate for sure. beasts of their own. Is Serenity born, born at this point or you know she's on her way? She's born at this point. She's born at this point. She's okay. born at this point. Okay. Um, and so I, I would get out and, and she was living with... Uh, my mother-in-law with her grandmother. Um, and I would try to get myself back on track. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would try to get myself back on track and that was hard to do because I was involved with my daughter's mother at that time. Yeah. And that's a toxic relationship. Right. We were abusive to each other. Um, we were very toxic to each other. And, um, I, I started working construction and, and getting my life together. Uh, but some of those behaviors still popped up. Like, although I was in the halfway house and doing what I was supposed to, I was also sneaking away to go try and see her. And that would result in me going back to prison. Wow. Again, from there, I would get out again. And while I was in there, she would be with other people, um, which was really that's hurtful pain, for that's me painful, painful for sure yeah. um because all i wanted was this family i wanted to build this family and i had this vision in my mind and, and each time i would get out i feel like a part of that would be taken away or shattered or broken yeah um, and ultimately i made the decision that i had to get out of that relationship and and i did <clears throat> so i would meet this woman named misty who would end up being my wife today okay um and she was in her addiction I, I got out of prison i was in the halfway house i met her at a hotel when i was going to pick up some of my stuff that somebody had and um she was selling drugs at the time she was in her addiction had a lot of people around uh, kind of taking advantage of her and of course i'm a damaged person so the type of relationships that i look for or a partner i look for is somebody that's damaged as well yeah like attracts like right and so I thought, you know, she needs somebody to save her, to protect mm. her. And I would go on the run from the halfway house uh, to spend one night with her. And then I realized what I did about 24 hours later. And I contacted uh, my parole officer and I said, hey, I don't want to go back to prison. Is there any options? And he said, yeah, just turn yourself in and we'll take you to jail for three days and uh, get you back on track. I'm like, cool, I'm all for that. Turned myself in. Uh, they put me in the back of the car seat. Drove me right back out to the prison. So they lied to you. Lied to me. And wow. I mean, that was another moment where I was like, 
you know, the system isn't. And how long here did to you have me. to go out? How long were you going to be in prison at for that, that point? For that parole for violation, that one, yeah. I went back for four months. Okay. Um, so at this point, okay, I'm, I know, just pause for a sec. Yeah. I mean, you're in and out of prison. I can only, I can only imagine the belief system you had about yourself and the story you were telling about you. Right. Like, you're probably thinking, am I ever going to change? Right. You know, I've, I've got serenity now. Serenity now. Why am I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back? Why do I keep yeah. going? I mean, why am I doing everything that I said I would never do yeah. to my child because all those things were done yeah. to me? So how are you feeling emotionally like at this point? Do you feel like, are you in despair? Empty. empty yeah, drained. Depressed. Depressed. Kind of yeah. um, all of those uncomfortable feelings. Right. And, yeah. uh, I mean, my belief in myself was, was pretty low. Like a part of me was like, there's something greater for me. I'm, I'm destined for more than, than what's been given to me. And then a part of me would say, no, you're not. If that was true, then you would be that. Right. And so, I mean, that goes deep into some of my core beliefs of abandonment and I am worthless. Um, I'm not capable of healthy relationships, things like that, which every time I had a triggering event, um, which caught, would cause certain feelings to come up and those feelings are associated with thoughts um, yeah. which would ultimately you know bring me into my thinking errors the black and white thinking all or nothing yeah, all or nothing. power and control yeah. if i have power then i'm something if i don't then i'm nothing mm, wow uh, some of those other things the the victim stance um yeah that's a big one right <clears throat> yeah feeling like i was a victim why why are we lazy at times? Because we feel like the world owes us something. We feel like we're a victim and we were dealt yeah. a bad set of cards. Sure. And yeah. so we don't want to put in the work because we feel like we're owed something. Yeah. And I think that that's been part of my story. Um, so I would meet, I would meet Misty, um, go back to prison for four months. She was different than the other girls that I'd been with because mm -hmm. she stuck by my side with phone calls and letters mm -hmm. and pictures and communication. Um, after four months I would get out and I was scheduled to go to Odyssey house of Utah to do some treatment. And I feel like every time I've gotten out of prison, I got out with this plan that I'm going to get my life together. Um, and then what would keep me from doing that was my, my need for connection with the opposite sex. Mm. And it had nothing to do with the sex. It had everything to do with intimate connection. Right. Um, with trying to find someone to fall in love with me because I didn't get that as a child. Yeah. Um, and I would double down on that. Like as long as somebody loves me, then, then yeah. it's okay. Just like when I went back to prison for spending one night with my wife, with Misty, you know, that's okay because somebody loves me. Someone loves the me. risk versus reward. Yeah. Well, I'm, the reward is the fulfillment of Well, yeah, of and it's love. very Yeah, and it's very <clears> common <throat> for someone to do that based on what you've been through. Foster right. care, detention, in and out of prison. I mean, you know, going back to the family that you yeah. had. Lack that of was identity. Un yeah. Lack of identity. It was unhealthy. So then you find Misty and it's almost like, okay, this person cares about me. Right. You know, it was worth going to prison for four right. months for that one night. <laughs> and then it was worth... Uh, those four months of her being by my side while I was in prison was worth me sacrificing the rest of my life and my freedom after yeah, that. Yeah. So I would get out, supposed to go to Odyssey House, hmm. and we would go to my parole officer for my, my initial check-in, and I would say, hey, uh, 
I can't go to that address because it's not a healthy address and act like it wasn't a treatment center. And he allowed me to change addresses to, to another address. Um, and we walked out there feeling like we were the smartest people in the world. And that began my journey on the run with Misty. Mm. And really the only time that I would see my daughter was when I would bring her gifts. I was one of those feeling guilt, guilt. and shame I'll give her some uh, gifts by not to, being a, yeah. a parent. And so I would show up with handfuls of presents. Um, so me and Misty would, would run this cycle for about seven months. Um, ultimately, and our relationship would become toxic and destructive. And she comes from similar past. Uh-huh. Um, she'd be another great person for you to have on your show. Yeah. Love, yeah, I would definitely be open to that. Um, but we would, we would just, we'd love each other, hurt each other, leave each other, and chase each other. And that was our cycle. And we did that from the whole Salt Lake Valley, throughout the Salt Lake Valley, out to Tooele, to Utah County, up to Logan, um, just selling drugs, using drugs, um, just real addict behavior. Uh, we'd get into a car chase. Um, I would crash the car. Ultimately, we got away. And that would be one of the charges that I faced later on. Um, and that continued until ultimately, you know, I was, I was really messed up on meth and heroin and meth and heroin at that time became my drug of choice. Um, ultimately that would transform into basalt, which is a mm. terrible drug. Well, that, that basalt does some damage, man. Yeah. It was That's like scary. a combination of meth and crack cocaine yeah, together. Right. And, and, uh, all I wanted was, was that high that that rush that lift out of mm-hmm. where I was at the despair um, the emptiness so I would be in a stolen vehicle by myself in Murray on State Street and Vine Street driving on the wrong side of the road and I crashed the stolen vehicle that I was in um, into another vehicle at the intersection I jumped out of the stolen vehicle um, Somebody pulled over to help. I jumped out of the vehicle that I was in. I brushed them aside and jumped into their vehicle to try and steal their vehicle. Luckily for everybody involved, um, they had taken the keys out of the ignition when this happened. So had they been in there, you would have been off. Yeah. I would have been off. And I would have caused more destruction. More destruction, yeah. Um, So I passed out in that vehicle from the car crash. um, And when I woke up, I woke up in the hospital. And I passed out again. And I woke up in the back of my parole officer's car, which has been a pattern for me. Yeah. You're like, I've been here before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Uh, And he was driving me back to prison. And he was in that moment that I had like my spiritual awakening, my where everything came into perspective that I have been doing this to myself and in the process of hurting myself. I've hurt so many people around me. My daughter was three years old at that time, and she was beginning to talk. And so when I heard her voice, I I really knew that it, it wasn't about me, and it hadn't been about me for a long time. I was now in my 30s. Um, and so I made a decision, like, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And this is where commitment really, really hit for me. Like, okay, you said that so many times. What's different? So I went back to prison. I, uh, I signed up to go to the drug program there. It's a 12-month residential program where you live in the program. Mm. Um, 
and I started working on myself for about a month. And then I got into a fight over mm. commissary, over somebody owing me something. Like yeah. I, I would say that's maybe like $8 worth really? of commissary. Yeah. And I got into a, to a fight over that. And uh, I think this was a divine intervention for me was they took me back over to the other side of the prison and they threw me right into the gang unit where I had fought to get out of. Where you had fought no way. So yeah. now you're back with the gang. Now I'm back with the gang. At least and, around the gang, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, Dang. Oh, my gosh. And it was scary. Um, because, yeah. Because, the, like, they, they do a lot of stabbing and cutting on that side. Um, and I was approached by some guys, and they told me that, you know, uh, you got to leave. And... I tell them I'm not leaving. Not like that. I'm not going and telling the cops that I can't live here. I don't mind moving and putting in to move, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go out like that. Yeah. Um, and, and that was pretty scary. And, I, and I, I'm pretty sure they were to a, really close to a point where they were going to stab me or cut me. And then somebody else came on the tier that they had dirt on and they ended up stabbing him. Uh, and it was, it was that close. So I spent wow. 30 days over there around all the violence and and the the, the use, the drug use. That, have been, had, that had to have been a long 30 days for you. It was. It right. felt like a year, Forever. five years. Yeah, yeah right. Um, <laughs> and one day came up. When, and, and so through this process, this is where like I finally started getting in touch with my higher power, with God, and, and getting on my knees and, and saying, God, show me where you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do please give me the chance of going back over that drug program and taking it serious. Um, I've been, I was calling my daughter on the phone and I was calling Misty on the phone and I was like, I, I don't want to leave them out there to fend for themselves. Um, I know what was missing from my childhood and I don't want to be the cause of that being missing from yeah. Serenity's childhood. Yeah, right. So I go back after 30 days to the, to the program and I start running an honest program. Did I have some slip ups and some mess ups? Yeah, absolutely. I did. Uh, was it as perfect as I sometimes like right. to display that it is? Yeah. It wasn't as perfect. Wasn't, yeah. Um, and that's something that I've been working on recently because of all the success that I've had. I, 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 I have to work on, you know, not acting like it was just smooth. And I, right. I, I made a decision to change and it just changed. No, there, there was some slip ups. For sure. Um, I went over there. I did 12 months over there. graduated that program. Now this whole time I'm fighting my case for, the stolen vehicle and the attempted carjacking. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm facing five years to life on one charge, uh, one to 15 years on another charge. And then a multiple uh, charges for paraphernalia and, and drug possession. And I keep pushing my court dates out, pushing my court dates out um, because I feel like the only option that I have for them to give me a chance at life is to prove it to them by what I'm doing right. in, in the program. And, and that's what I did. Ultimately, I would plead guilty after 17 months to one to 15 year sentence, a second degree felony for uh, possession of a stolen vehicle and zero to five year sentence um, for failure to stop at the command of an officer. Mm. Uh, and I knew that if I got sentenced to prison on that, um, the board of pardons, they were going to lay me down for a while. Yeah, because so, it'd be like, you know, Manning's not getting this. Yeah. He's in and out of here 
let's, from let's, 17 to yeah right so let's send him into mid 30s yeah man and um so i knew i'd get at least five to ten years um so i pleaded with the judge um the prosecutor was like we're we don't want to give him anything but prison because of his history um and I went before the judge and I had taken a lot of classes in that 12 months, everything that I could take in the prison. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of books. Um, that book right there, the power of now I, I read that book. Yeah. While I was in there. Amazing book. Great book. Yeah. Um, and I seven habits of highly effective people, huge book for mm -hmm. my transformation. Um, and I, I addressed the judge and I said, judge, I know my history looks bad and I know I probably should, be sentenced to prison for this, but I'm going to ask you, give me a chance at a drug program on the streets. Um, I said, if you want time out of me, that's all you can get. Cause I have programmed and programmed and reprogrammed myself. And he sat there and looked at me for a good 10, 15 seconds. The whole courtroom was quiet. And he said, Mr. Lopez, against everything that the law says that I should do to you against the wishes of the prosecutor. Yeah. He says that I look at you and I feel like you deserve a chance. Time has not done you well. It's not doing it. Yeah. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sentence you to prison, but I'm going to suspend the sentence and I'm going to give you 36 months probation. I'm going to send you to a residential substance use disorder program. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you do not go to this program and change and do whatever it takes, and you come before me for anything, I will sentence you to every single day of your sentence. Which would have been what, five to ten years? One to 15. One to 15. One, year, one, one to 15 years. So I went back to my section after that, feeling like somebody believed in me, feeling. Yeah, I bet you were surprised. Lifted. Um, yeah. Feeling like everything, all the hard work that I had just done these last 17 months meant something. Um, I went to see the Board of Pardons two weeks after that, or three weeks after that. <clears throat> And two weeks after that, they released me um, from prison. So by him not sentencing me to prison, sentencing mm -hmm. me to probation, I was already on a parole pro violation. And so the Board of Pardons didn't have any jurisdiction over the new charges. Oh, okay. So I got out on probation and parole. Um, I went to Odyssey House of Utah, um, and they had the accountability system they have there, which is uh, they call it the encounter process, um, where you where you write on pieces of paper things that you see people doing that they shouldn't be doing, um, and you hold them accountable. I had been doing that in the program in prison. So it was easy for me. I went right into that. <clears throat> oh, you're good. Yeah, it's it's amazing. the Again, just this process you're going through, if you will. Like right. Just back and forth. And, right. You know, and, you know, it's like, When's when are things gonna finally change? But it sounds like this judge giving you this chance, yeah, was like, hey, he believes in me. Maybe I believe yeah. in me. Which plays off, <clears throat> which plays off the 
the whole name of, of your podcast. Yeah, the belief cast. Yep. It, uh, like all I needed was a little bit of belief in myself yeah. and belief from somebody else uh, to kind of like spark something for me. Yeah. So I would get out and go to Odyssey House and I ran an honest program. I made a commitment. Uh, the beautiful thing about this was my wife about six months before this had said enough was enough for her. She got arrested, went to jail. They let her out, kept doing the same thing, same environment, got arrested, went to jail, same thing. And we're co-defendants in these, in some of these cases. Mm. And, uh, ultimately she told the same judge that, that I had, um, do not send me back out there. If you send me back out there, I'll go back to the same thing and I will die. Mm. She, she asked him to go to House of Hope, which is all women, because she had some male trauma she needed to work on. Sure, yeah. So she went there. Um, and so when I got out, she had completed the residential part, um, which was so different from any other relationship that I'd been in. I would get out of prison and go back to a relationship. And if the relationship was toxic or there was drug use, then I would go right into that. Why? Because my need for connection... Exactly. Um, was so strong. Yeah. But I had that support of, of her. And, and also she had been working on herself and she had some boundaries and she wasn't going to allow me to cross them. <laughs> and she's like, first and foremost, don't ask me to bring you anything here that you're not supposed to have. Yeah. Second of all, if you want this relationship to work, then you're going to work on yourself and you're not going to worry about what I'm doing out here. You're going to focus on your program. Um, we started out with phone calls and video visits, and finally I got to the point where it was time to complete the residential part. And I, she was on drug court at the time, and she was honest with her drug court team about our relationship, and they allowed us to move in together. And so we got an apartment in Cottonwood Heights and started our life together. I started uh -huh. getting visits with my daughter, um, weekend visits with her. Uh, she was living in with her with her grandmother where I mean the drug use was going on there as well right um, she may not have known what was going on around her but I did yeah right. and so I, I made a decision that I was going to fight to get custody of my daughter uh, my daughter's mom was in her addiction still uh, pretty yeah. much the same place that I had left her at yeah. um, but with other toxic relationships and she would get sent to prison shortly after that This, so this is even harder than my battle to get out of prison was my battle for custody of my daughter. Because I, f I felt like I was doing all these things right. Yeah. Um, I was successfully doing my parole. I was successfully completing the residential treatment that I was in. I was successfully doing what I was supposed to do at my outpatient treatment. Um, I was working at the time uh, doing construction at the airport. I was successfully employed. And my daughter's grandmother did not want to give my daughter to me. Um, and once, especially once I filed for custody. Sure. And so there was a good three, four months where she would not let me see her. And, and I had a, I have a, I've had a bond with my daughter since she was born. Yeah. Uh, just me and her, we have a connection that is different than anybody else's. And that hurt. And it was yeah, basically, she was saying like, drop the custody case and you can see your daughter again. 
But what I had learned through this process um, and the success that I was having was that commitment is what has got me this far. And yeah. I'm done giving up on myself and I'm not going to give up on my daughter. I'm, and so I stayed committed to that. And uh, ultimately, my daughter's grandmother would get a lawyer and try and fight. And they would bring up everything that I had ever done in oh, my I'm past. sure, yeah. <laughs> and I also had some some good people on my side. Throughout the whole process that I, that I had been through, um, I probably had about 15 to 20 letters of people, therapists, counselors, caseworkers, uh, clinical directors, um, mm. executive directors of places like Clean Slate Utah and, and yeah. And things like that and that have has seen the process that i was going through um and as much as they were trying to use my past against me i came from a perspective and a paradigm of my past and everything that i've been through is my those that's my strength what i've been able to overcome in this time that i've been out those are my strengths. Yeah. I've overcome a lot. Yeah. Um, so at this point, are you like, you're on the straight and narrow, if you will. Narrow, you're yeah. done with drugs. You're done with criminal behavior. Once I got out of prison, I was done. So you knew like done, when that committed. judge gave you that, it was like, man, you had this shift mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to do things right this time. Yeah, and he, so you're all he gave in me a at this fair point. shake. He yeah. said, despite of everything that you've been through, <laughs> right. despite of the odds against you, yeah, um, I'm going to gamble in your favor. Man, but isn't that? I, I want to point out how powerful that is when someone believes in you. Right. I remember when I was in the height of my addiction, and I, I was in the worst, darkest place of my life. There was someone that believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. But who that, was that? It was my mentor, Rich Saunders. And uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here with you today. Right. And it was just like, it's like we almost need to just hear it from someone else. Right. And I hear this and it's like, why is this guy believing me so much when I don't even believe in myself? Right. So the power of that judge saying that, what it did to your heart, softened it up. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'm, I've got this opportunity. I'm going to do something different. It's pretty yeah, amazing. It was, it's powerful. Yeah. Is power. I remember walking out of that court hearing um, just in awe. I went back to the section, and I don't even think I really spoke to anybody except <laughs> to let him know, like, he gave me a chance. And I sat I sat with my thoughts, and, and I sat with my higher power. Um, so that's another thing that probably means a lot to you is the connection with God. For sure. Because you mentioned you started to pray for help, and I, I mean, I want to do something different here. Yeah. And so that obviously means a lot to you. Mm -hmm. Ask and you shall receive. Just be willing to put the work in. Yeah. Um, love that. I love that. So uh, like during this this time that I'm fighting for custody of my daughter, um, I, I what was cool was I completed a couple other milestones. And the first one was getting off probation for the charges that – Got me sent back to prison. Yeah. The attempted carjacking. I got to go before that judge and tell him how grateful I was and how much I loved and respected him for believing in me. Wow. But that was amazing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be able to uh, look at the prosecutor as well because, you know, she was pretty adamant about he's never going to change. 
There's no oh, hope I'm for sure. him. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, but she didn't show up for some reason. Um, mm. But I, I, it didn't take away from the feeling. You know what I mean? I want I wanted to be able to look at her, maybe even talk with her in the hallway and say, "Hey, there's hope for people like me. We yeah. can do it." Yeah. Um, Just need a chance. And from there, I about a month later, I successfully terminated parole as well which is something I hadn't been able to accomplish in 20 years. Dang. That's amazing, man. Uh, shortly after that, I went to court for my daughter and, and the decision was in my favor. And I walked out of there with my daughter, with custody of my daughter. Um, wow. During my outpatient time at Odyssey House, uh, so through this whole process, I realized what I wanted to do with my life. So I, I growing up, I would, I would, rap and make music uh yeah. usually was, was destructive <clears throat> about selling drugs and being on drugs or in the streets and gang banging things like that so but i had i had a talent for it um and i thought i was going to be a rapper and, and of course that didn't happen uh for multiple reasons but i uh i got back into making music when i got out this time and i make recovery based hip-hop um i'm on youtube and TikTok, Instagram, um, under SL Manny Boy. SL Manny Boy. Yeah. We will, we'll put the links to that in the show cool. notes and all that fun stuff. Yeah. It's so. all recovery based um, hip hop. It's about, you know, overcoming adversity. You know, understanding that the cycle of life is either you're in adversity, coming out of adversity, or going back into adversity. And your mindset in each one of those stages yeah. is going to determine yeah. the success that you have. Wow. Um, and I, and I and I knew what I wanted to do with my life was to work in the recovery field. Um, and so I, I went to a week training of uh, to become a certified peer support specialist. And I learned some motivational interviewing and mm -hmm. and some cool things, how to use my story and and what I've been through to help others uh, guide them on their journey. Um, got that certificate and, and I met somebody there that was doing some counseling at Papillon Integrated Recovery Center, um, where I work now. And I asked if they can get me an interview and they got me an interview. I went to that first interview and feel like I killed it and didn't get a call back. And through this process, here we go with commitment again. Like I'm committed. I yeah. learned to advocate for myself. I learned that, yeah. you know, I'm not going to give up because it didn't go the way. What happens when, yeah. when you're told no, do you just stop trying? Yeah. No, not me. Not anymore, at least. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, love I dusted myself off, um, <laughs> reached out to him and, and let him know, hey, I'd be in a great fit for your program. Um, they said, all right, come back in for a second interview. Went in for a second interview. Feel like I killed that interview. Went home. Didn't hear back for a couple of weeks. Uh, after a couple of weeks, I, I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Um, and so I called again. And I said, hey, I feel like. I do great things for you. Here's what I would bring to the table. This is what I've been through. And they said, come in for a third interview. <laughs> and I sat down with uh, three supervisors <laughs> that time and felt like I did a wonderful job. And they said, you know what? We're going to hire you. Um, and they hired me. Uh, they would, they hired me as a house manager for uh, all the male sober livings for the program, which was, uh. Three, four, four sober livings. Um, 
and it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted yeah. my foot in the door. Give me yeah, a chance. Sure. Yeah, right. And I mean, I've for the first year of working for them, I feel like I put in 12 hour days. Um, it I had a drive, I had a purpose, I had structure, I had discipline, um, and I, and I had direction. Yeah. Love so that. what I did was uh, I got myself back in school because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a house manager forever. Yeah. Um, I wanted to really work in recovery and help people with their thinking. Yeah. I got back into school. I started working on my degree, which I still am. Uh, human, my bachelor's in human services with a concentration in substance use disorder, nice. um, which helped me get moved from house manager to the clinical team. And so that's 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 what I'm doing now is um, I'm a clinical intern for Papillon Integrated Recovery Center. Nice. My wife uh, became a peer support specialist as well and got a job. She was a house manager for the females for a while. Really? And now she's a clinical intern as well. That's amazing. Her office is right next to mine. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's um, so cool. And, and uh, so like it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Like honestly, yeah. Manny, like hearing this the Especially what you went with through with her, right? From trying to hijack a car to right. you now you're officing together helping people, right? <laughs> Dude, it's amazing. You got to stick around long enough for the miracle yeah. to happen and keep putting the work. Well, in. and I love what you keep saying. You say you're committed. No, committed. I'm committed. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm, right. I'm committed. I'm going to, you know. And I've noticed this about a lot of us who have been addicted and gone through some stuff is we kind of have this all or nothing mentality, man. Right. If, I, if I'm in, watch out. Right. And if I do it for good, watch out. Right. Right. And that's what I'm hearing from you. It's like you, you were committed. I, I'm not, I'm not stopping now. Yeah. And I, and I, I changed my <laughs> mindset of like the world needs to accept me for who I am. This is who I am and accept me for it or don't. Right. Um, to like when I, go somewhere now it's like what can i do to help the rhythm of what's going on increase yeah to be productive mm-hmm. yeah not accept me like everybody needs to change around me because of who i am that's not how it is that's i'm not throwing monkey wrench into gears anymore it's how can i grease these gears and and add to it because i want to be productive i want to work together with people and build things that last i want to yeah. build internal strength and internal worth that lasts love it because every time I've searched for it externally, I've never been able to get it. Or if I have got it, it was temporary. And once I didn't have it, I had to do something else to get it again. Yeah. But what I'm building for myself now is internal and it, it lasts. Yeah. So, I mean, recently me and my wife and my daughter um, and our two boys, she has two boys as well, um, have moved into a five-bedroom house in Sandy. Um, so my criminal record came back when we lived in the apartment yeah. and they said, you can't live here anymore. Yeah, you can't live here. Um, oh man. I'm actually in the process of getting my record expunged right now. I have a really good friend. That's the executive director of clean slate, Utah, um, who got her life together as well. Yeah. Um, we used to actually be in our, uh, in, in the streets in our addiction together. Oh, really? And, and, and I mean, I'm seeing miracles happen around me to people that are committed. It's amazing. Um, I got my daughter. She's, uh, in gymnastics now and we went to her first performance uh which was so cool it's something i'm able to experience and and give that wasn't given to me yeah um wow i'm, I'm how old your daughter now she's six years old now six. uh nice. she goes to a wonderful school yeah and and this is this is my life now yeah. i started a business of my own um called clean streets consulting and coaching where i work with youth 
um, and the families of youth um, in self-development coaching. Okay. Uh, and I'm getting some success with that as well. That's, so um, that's why when yeah. you told me everything that you're doing, I'm like, man, like you're somebody that I'm trying to be like. Yeah, and, and I did what you're doing now. I just stayed committed. Like I want to make a difference in this world instead yeah. of taking from it. I'm going to give back now. And I, I'm like you. I'm all in, man. I've been doing this now for 34 years. Blows Beautiful. my mind. Beautiful. I'm like what? Like I pinch myself, man. Yeah. I'm like, because I've been in the, the beginning stages of where you're at, and but at the same time, I just stuck with it, like like you're saying, and I love, I love that. Yeah. Because that is the key to success. Is just being consistent. Keep doing that and don't give up. And what's right? beautiful is I get to work with people like myself. Yeah. People that come from. <laughs> Yeah, you know them. And yeah. no one was there for them. Yeah. And prison and jails and homelessness. Like I've experienced all of that. And I get to stand before them and share my story and, and things that I've learned along the way and say, you know what? When you start feeling like there's no hope or there's no point to this, remember, I felt like that at one point. Remember, yeah. I was in that seat. Yeah. And that's the most important seat in the room right now yeah. is the one that you're sitting in. Dang. Um, Amazing. And so let's let's get up. And let's compete. Let's get up and follow through with our commitments. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's easy to say commitments when I'm motivated and I'm feeling it. But what about when that feeling is faded? Yeah. Are you able to now? tap into that same yeah. commitment and be just as dedicated? Yeah. I mean, commitment is when you say I'm all in. And all in means that I'll do whatever it takes. Not I'll do whatever it takes as long as I have some support or right. as long as somebody pushes me. It's I'll do whatever it takes, period. That's the yeah. end of that sentence. Dang. I love that. You know, you've already shared some really powerful things, Manny. Um, if there's someone listening to your voice right now who's in a dark place, they're struggling, they feel lost, what would you tell that one person right now? I would tell you that you are worth it, that you have massive value and massive potential, that people love you. And if you need somebody to love you right now, I will be that person. Ooh. I love you. God loves you. You have the ability to get back up and push forward. Jeez, drop the mic there. Mic drop. Dang. It's, it's important because Very we, well we, said. We, we fall into those dark places. Yeah. And we're like, it doesn't sure. matter because nobody cares. Yeah. But I care. Yeah. And you care. Yeah. And the people that we surround ourselves with care as well. Yeah. Like there's so many resources out here for somebody to get themselves out of that dark place. It takes willingness. You know, it takes commitment. It takes being open. Yeah. It takes surrender. Yeah. But it's possible. Yeah. You have to get vulnerable. And through vulnerability is where sh true strength comes from. Dang. So beautifully said, Manny. Thank you. If, if someone wants to reach out to you and learn more about what you do or, you know, follow you, that kind of thing, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you? Um, I share Facebook with my wife. Uh, it's, it's all recovery-based. Um, it's Manny Misty Lopez. Uh, Misty is spelled M-Y-S-T-I, Manny Misty Lopez. I also have my Instagram, which is SL Manny Boy. I don't really use that too much, but I use a, I'm constantly posting videos and songs on my TikTok, SL Manny Boy too, like Salt yeah. Lake Manny Boy or Sober Life Manny Boy. Love it. Um, That's what the SL stands for. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Sober Life, I like that. Yeah. And also on YouTube, if you ever want to hear any of my music, my recovery-based hip-hop, um, it's SL Manny Boy. On YouTube, YouTube as well. Okay. Yeah, like Sober Life, Manny Boy. Beautiful. Um, life is extremely better. 
Life is amazing. Life is beautiful. And every single person in this world has the ability of having a beautiful life and the life of their dreams. You just got to be committed. Commitment. Yeah. Commitment. You got to get up and compete because, you know, ultimately nothing is going to be handed to you and yeah. nobody's going to work harder than you. Right. And the only person that continuously stood in my way was myself. Yeah. And once I got out of my own way and I focused on <laughs> the solution right. yeah. and my goals, things started happening for me. I mean, against all odds is a true statement. Like against all odds, I shouldn't be here doing this podcast. Absolutely, with you. dude. You I should, should still be in prison or dead. Or dead. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you were dealt some tough cards, yeah. but look what you're doing with it now. And you are really, truly a walking miracle. Thank you. You really are. Like, and I don't say that lightly. Like, that's a fact because you really are correct when you say you should not be here, but you are. And you stayed committed. You didn't give up. And let's give a shout out to that judge who gave you a chance, who yeah. said, I believe in you, judge Manny. Barry Lawrence. Barry Lawrence. Thank shout out so to Barry, much, Lawrence. Barry Lawrence. Because again, had you had he just said nope, I'm throwing the book at you again, I'd still be. We w I wouldn't in know the you. Prison right you now. wouldn't no. be here. But I love that you took that opportunity and you did the best you could with it. And here you are, yeah, doing good things. You're coaching. It's an you're helping that is people. Possible for anybody. Got an office and next everybody. to your wife. <laughs> yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, that's so cool. You well, see her beautiful face every time. I can't thank you enough for being here today and taking time out of your schedule to come sit here with me. I'm blessed to sit here and to get to know you better. You know, there's many times I was trying not to cry through your story. I'm looking at you. I see you're you're happy. I you're am. smiling. You're doing good things. And I just want you to know I respect what you've done. Thank and you, my friend. any way I can help support you in moving forward. Obviously, we're going to get this out to as many people as we can. But thank you for your time today. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. And anytime I can help with anything, like that's what this is about. Okay. We, we recover better together. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you. For sure. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be awesome. Uh, Manny Lopez, a walking miracle who stayed committed, who didn't give up. Um, if you have a, a family member or a friend who is struggling, give them a link to this episode and have them listen to it. And then follow back up with them because this will break the ice. And this might be the one thing they need to hear. And like what Manny said, he believes in you. And so do I. I love you guys for all your support. Thank you for being here week after week. It means the world to me. Until next time. And again, Manny, thanks. For sure.